Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Y'all doing okay today? Our hands working. Let me see hands. Hands, hands, smiles working. Good. I want you to use all of it today. All of it today. We get to start a new series um, today, According to Peter. And I'm super excited to be able to walk you through Peter's two letters that he wrote to the New Testament church. A little bit of trivia for you. Any, any trivia buffs here? Let's see how you do. What do we call the first letter that Peter wrote to the New Testament church? First Peter. All right. For those of you that missed the first one, I'm going to give you the second one. It's going to be really easy. What do we call the second letter that Peter wrote to the New Testament church? It is the things you learn at Our Savior's Church. I'm telling you. Woo! But listen, before we jump in to his letters, we kind of have to take a little bit and learn about Peter. I would, I would be amiss if I brought you just his content and not a little bit about his character. Peter walked with Jesus. He was one of the original disciples that walked with him, but he was in his inner circle, right? He was, he was his bud. You, you get a spare hour in your week and you're calling somebody to go hang out. That was Peter. He was, he was right there. He got invited into rooms and in environments um, alongside he and James and John that none of the other disciples did. He had firsthand experience with Jesus. So when we read Peter's letters, it's as if we're reading his Christianity, his theology from his perspective and his life experience. They don't get much better than that when we get to read Peter's letters. But listen, I want you to learn a little bit about him today and the kind of man he was early in his walk with Christ. Because if you don't, you're going to miss some of these profound truths. All right, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you read 1 Peter 3.8 and you read this passage, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, you may think, oh, that's cute. But, but unity, brotherly love, this coming from the guy who was at the chief argument every time they wanted to know which disciple was going to be greater than the others, like, that's Peter. Peter's the one who never missed an opportunity to remind them how good he was and how much God had, had shown him and revealed to him. And if you don't know about Peter, you'll read something like that, and you'll miss some of the profound truths. The very next, the very next, a humble mind, right? This is coming from the disciple that tried to rebuke Jesus when he heard Jesus speak of his impending death. He, he said, not so, Lord, not, not so. Yeah, humble? At some point, he must have picked that up. The very next verse, 1 Peter 3, 9. If you just read that and you don't know Peter, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And if you know Peter, the don't repay evil, don't fight, don't be a blessing. This is the guy that got mad, scared, and angry and pulled a sword and hacked some dude's ear off when they tried to arrest Jesus, if you don't know about Peter, you're going to miss some of these things that we're going to learn in the weeks to come. Now, before you try and think, oh, well, he's just a hypocrite then, lived one way, but then tells everybody else to live something different. Don't sit there and act like we don't know you haven't told your kids the whole story about why you don't drink or 
go to the parties or smoke the things, you know, all that. You're perfectly content to say, kids, just trust me, that's not what we should do. We get the opportunity to experience Peter's letters as his wisdom after the life that he lived that we get to walk through and see some of this. Because it's one thing to read 1 Peter 4.8, where he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Because when you read that and you think, oh, well, this is just some holy, greater than, 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 than now apostle that, that wrote this. He's never had any sins in his life. And then you realize, man, this is Peter writing this. This is the one disciple that we know has got a multitude of sins. So we read Peter knowing the type of guy he is. It makes all the difference. Let me say it this way. You don't know the story of the person seated next to you. You know, the one that gets a little crazy in worship. No, not that one. The one on the other side that you kind of scoot over from. Because their hands are lifted high. They're singing at the top of their lungs. They're, they're shouting. And you're like, dude, what's going on with you, man? I'm just... I'm just here to worship with elbows at my side, right? Maybe they worship that way because there was a point in their life when their hands were tied in addiction. Maybe they sing at the top of their lungs because there was a point in their life when their mouth was silenced through shame and guilt and the things that God had them bound in. But if you knew somebody's story, the way I know some of your stories, you look across this room during worship and said, they better be praising that way. They better be shouting that way. They better be lifting their hands that way because I knew them when they couldn't. And so that's how I want to start our conversation with Peter today. We're going to get into some good stuff in the weeks to come, but you got to know where this guy's coming from. If any of our disciples that we could read about knew the full depths of what it was to be far from God, and the full heights of what it was to be at the pinnacle of their spiritual walk. It was Peter, and I think you're going to find some things in common with them. I think you may find that Peter has more in common with you than, he thinks, than you think he does. Let me give you an example. Um, show me, raise, raise of hands here. How many of you ever felt like you had Jesus figured out, only to find out that you didn't? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Say this with me. I can relate. I can relate. Um, have you ever seen God move miraculously, especially when you didn't deserve it? Let me see your hands. I can relate. I can relate. If you've ever found yourself talking to someone about Jesus with words that weren't your own and felt God moving through you, I can relate. I can relate. If you've ever said something stupid that you really believed was true, I can relate. If you've ever found yourself feeling like there is no way you can be restored in your relationship with God because of what you've done, I can relate. Maybe you feel that way today. If you've ever walked on water, oh, wait, no, I guess. Okay, maybe he's got that one on us, but a part of these others. You get the point. Listen, Peter's one of us. He's not perfect. He's far from it, but he's an example of a man who God 
used. And this is my big thought for today, the thing I want you to remember more than anything else. If God can use Peter, he can use me, I can relate. If God can use Peter, he can use me, I can relate. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how that's possible according to Peter. And I want to set us up, set our series up today, and introduce you to Peter in this way, and I'll call it this, things I learn about myself when I learn about Peter. Things I learn about myself when I learn about Peter. Here's number one. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If you were going to walk through and be like Jesus and start this worldwide ministry, who would you pick? If you're standing on the playground and you're about to play basketball and a bunch of kids are gathering around you, who are you picking? Are you picking the short, squatty, nerdy guy who can't dribble? Or are you picking the tall, buff guy who looks like he could dunk on everybody else? Yeah, you're picking the guy who could, who could win. If, if you knew you had to stand up in front of crowds and speak and communicate and you had a message you wanted to get to other people and you needed somebody to go on your behalf, would you find somebody who could speak great in a public environment? Or would you go choose somebody who had never uttered a word beside the person he was next to at that point in time? No, you would pick the orator. You would pick the orator. Listen, Peter was a fisherman. He was not an orator. He could steer a boat, but he could not steer a movement. He had no management experience whatsoever, yet Jesus sought him out. Matthew chapter 4, we get the story. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Luke gives us a little more detail in his gospel, chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, remember that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. My favorite part about ministry. My favorite part about discipleship and following Jesus is this one thought. No previous experience required. No previous experience required. Peter's life story is essentially the story of him plucking a man out of one season, an area of life, and putting him completely into another. Jesus doesn't go around looking for the most qualified people. He goes around looking for the people who will say yes to him in the middle. And listen, Scripture doesn't even tell us that Peter was a good fisherman. Every time you see Peter fishing, there's nothing in his boat. 
He hasn't caught anything. It's not uncommon for us to find Peter saying, nope, we fished all night and nothing. Okay, he takes a mediocre fisherman and he makes him a disciple, not just a good fisherman. Now listen, fast forward, after years of walking with Jesus, he's no longer a fisherman. After the resurrection at Pentecost in the book of Acts we read, no one knows what to do or what to say after the Holy Spirit comes powerfully on those people that were gathered there. And look who steps up and has a word from God for them. Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Big difference from who we saw trying to fish. Now he's standing up saying, hey, come here, look at me. I'll tell you what God just did and what he's about to do. And Acts gives us the entire sermon that he preaches. You can go read it, but for time's sake, let me catch up toward the end. Now, when they heard this, the crowd were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, where he was a mediocre fisherman, look what kind of preacher he is. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. Question, how does a mediocre fisherman become a gifted public communicator leading thousands? Answer, he walks with Jesus. Isn't that just like God to take somebody nobody would expect, do something incredible with them, and then, then, then show off himself in this, in, this, in this vessel that you wouldn't expect? If you can see somebody doing something amazing for God, and you're like, oh, they, they got that. I could see how they would do that. God's not glorified in that. But if you see somebody doing something, and you're like, listen, I know that cat, and there is no way God is doing what that's doing through that vessel. It has to be God. I mean, you know, that's God being glorified in the middle. He would rather take somebody who nobody expects to do something and do something amazing with them than he would take somebody who expects. To think. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. The only prerequisite for discipleship is saying yes. The only prerequisite for discipleship is saying yes. And sometimes we discount ourselves from obeying God because we don't think he can use us. Maybe, you, maybe the reason why you haven't come to next steps like Hannah was talking about earlier is because you think, there's no way God could use me. I mean, I see so much going on around here. And so many people, they look like they got it covered. There's, there's no way anything could happen. And, and God couldn't use me to impact somebody else. I'm I'm, I'm already too busy. It's just, I don't know. Maybe that's been your excuse. And just, just to make my point, let me, let me show you this. We'll have a little bit of fun. If you currently serve on our serve team or you lead a small group here at the church, can you raise your hand for me? Raise them high. Keep them up. Look at those. Those of you that don't have your hands raised, can we give it up for those who are doing that, helping us? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Here's the point I'm trying to make. If you knew those people with their hands raised the way I knew those people, you'd be saying, no, that's God. That's God. This room is full of people, not who have it put together, 
not to have it going on, not to know the ins and outs of the Bible and everything else, not who. This is a room full of people who have said yes. Yes. God, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. I'll let you. That's Peter. That's what he does. Ask someone that you see serving and they'll tell you there's no experience required. Discipleship is 100% on the job training. Another thing I'm reminded of is God wastes nothing and can redeem anything. He wastes nothing and can redeem anything. Growing up, my mom was a bank lending officer. She was a loan originator for, for a bank. And, and it wasn't long till I kind of followed that. I was on my path to a, a, a career in corporate banking um, when God got a hold of my life. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I guess everything he's done in my life up to this point, all the years of experience, all the banking, everything that I've been a part of, I guess that's just wasted. I guess I just have nothing. I'll just, that season of my life is behind me and I'll, I'll start fresh. God, I know you want me to go into ministry. I'll, I'll do this. The season of my life was, was missed only to find out a few years later, here I am serving God on staff at a church, sitting in conference rooms and bank board rooms, negotiating banking relationships and lending arrangements and all kinds of things like that, thinking, God, you really did know what you were doing. When, when you asked me to do this, and the number of people that I've seen find later in their journey with God that God has used everything in their past to help somebody else. He wastes nothing, and he can redeem anything. I was having a conversation with a man not too many weeks ago who was saying, Pastor, you just, you got to understand my life growing up. You know, I've, I've done some time, and it hasn't been um, a life that I've been super proud of. But, but you see, God made me a fighter, Pastor Don. I'm, I'm a fighter. I got, I got these hands. He said, now listen, growing up, I wasn't, I wasn't the bully. I was fighting the bullies. I was finding the people who were picked on and who were abused and who were taken advantage of. And those are the fights that I got myself into. I got myself into more fights standing up for somebody else than I did picking fights for myself. But now that God's got a hold of my life, Pastor, I don't, I, I don't want to fight anymore. But I, this is all God's given me, Pastor. What, what can I do? And I looked at him and I said, man, you're missing it. God hasn't just given you hands to fight. He's given you the heart of a fighter. And you may not realize this, but I know a lot of men who are picked on, abused, and beat up by the devil on a daily basis. They need somebody to go fight for them. And if you'll stand up to them, listen, you spent years standing up to bullies. Why don't I show you how to stand up to the enemy of our souls and tell some of these men, listen, you may feel beat up, but I'll fight for you. God wastes nothing, and he can redeem anything, anything. He doesn't want you because you're equipped. He wants you so that you can be equipped. Big difference. Big difference. And anybody who would look at the life of Peter and think, this is a guy who had it all figured out, doesn't know the Peter that I know when I read Scripture. And when God puts something in front of me that seems so big, that there's no way I could handle it, a job promotion, a new opportunity, more work than I thought I could, could, could handle, I'm reminded, if he can do it with Peter, he can do it with me. 
He can take a mediocre fisherman and put him up on a platform, up on a stage, and teach somebody about God. If he can do it, then him. Listen, you're not too far gone. You haven't screwed it up too much for God to be able to use you. Say yes today and your tomorrow can be completely different. That's discipleship. That's how we walk. That's what I learned. Here's the second thing learning about Peter teaches me about myself. I don't have to be perfect in order to be invited into special moments with God. I don't have to be perfect in order to be invited into those special moments. Listen, we don't have time today for me to read every one of Peter's interactions with Jesus in the Gospels, but I can give you a very adequate summary. There are ups and there are downs, moments of great accomplishment, moments of failure, times when he's humble, times when he's prideful, times when he's brilliant, and times when he's, well, not. Times when he says the right thing and times when he does not say the right thing. My pastor, Pastor Jacob, refers to Peter as the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. You know anybody like that? Seems like every time he does something great, he turns around and screws something else up. Anybody else I can relate with, with, with Peter? Matthew 14, look at this. Here's a few of them. Immediately he, meaning Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And the first person to stand up and speak is your boy Peter. And here's what he said. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. I mean, that's a big faith to get out and walk on the water to come to Jesus. Big faith. Very next verse. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Big high, followed by a big low. Don't act like God's never done something in you. And then while he's doing something in you, you look around and start having doubt, and you doubt yourself in the middle of this. Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came, here's another story, came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And usually the first person to respond to questions in a group environment is our boy Peter. And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He used his family name. It was, a, it was a proud moment for him. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Boom, Jesus says, that revelation you got, you got straight from God, not from yourself, not from man. Again, big high. He's back. Peter's back in it again. Very next few verses. Doesn't even give himself time to enjoy the success of his revelation. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things 
from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day to be, and be raised. Or be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What kind of boldness do you need to have to try to rebuke Jesus? Let me just say that for a second. Yeah, he just doesn't quite get it, does he? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Revelation from God. Get behind me, Satan. Walking on water, sinking. You, you know God. You're walking with God. To Now you're walking with the enemy. Has Jesus ever called you Satan? Me neither. I wouldn't want, of course, I've never been bold enough to try to rebuke Jesus either, so maybe that's, that's par for the course. But here's my question. How can you go from walking on water to sinking? From God giving you revelation to Jesus calling you Satan, how can you have these big swings of ups and downs in your own life? If we could graph your spiritual life, what would it look like? Would it look like smooth sailing? Like I'm, I'm spiritually dead and then I give my life to Jesus and it's just straight uphill? No problems. How many of you would look a lot like the stock market? You know, up and down and all those things. Listen, mine too. And that's Peter's life as well. Okay, Pastor Don, I get it, but you still haven't told us about his special moment with God. It's coming, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1 through 8. This is the transfiguration. This is the, the special moment. Have you ever been in God's presence? And you're there, and you know you're in God's presence, and you just don't want to leave? Right? You just want to stay there? Last week after service, we had one of those moments. It was great. I know many of you had to leave and, and rush out. But we opened the altars, and for 30, 45 minutes, we just continued to stay and worship. And I think Peter was having one of those moments here with Jesus. He gets invited into this special moment. And after six days, this is the very next verse right after the whole you're Satan thing. Okay? Keep in mind. All right? Not you, Lord. No, get behind me, Satan. Okay, sorry. Now come with me. I've got to show you something. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now listen, I'm not going to explain to you what I think this means and what it looks like. I want scripture and your imagination to do a better job than I could. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Talk about a special moment. To see the transfigured heavenly body of Jesus. To see Moses and Elijah. They've been dead for hundreds of years. And then to hear the audible voice of God. Wow. I could understand that a man who could walk on water would be invited into those moments. I could understand that a man that could walk on water would be getting access to that. I can understand that a man with that revelation and that insight straight from God the Father getting access to that, but not the man of little faith. 
Not not the man who sank in the water that he tried to walk on. Not, Not the man who Jesus, just a few verses earlier, called Satan, who had his heart fixed on the things of man. So here's my question for you. How does a person with that kind of past get to experience this kind of present? How does somebody who's walked through all of that get to be in these special moments with God? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, God, you're doing so much in my heart, so much in my life. I can't imagine my life any other way, but why me? Why me? God, how could you take me from where I was and bring me here today? Here's the point. And here's what I learned from Peter and what we're going to take with us in the weeks to come. See, often we limit ourselves in the present because we're only looking at our past. We're not looking at our future. When you look back on Peter's life, you, you see all the little shortcomings and they seem small compared to where God brings him in the end. You, you get to see everything in his life when you read the Gospels. But have you, it wasn't like that for Peter. In the moment, while Peter was walking through the lows that he had, he can't see the future. All he can see is, I just screwed this up. Man, everything was going so well, and I, I, just, I just messed this up. You have to remember, Peter can't see the future. And in the moment, every failure is magnified. And how easy is it for us to disqualify our future by looking only at our past? Oh, Pastor Don, you don't know where I came from. You don't know. Some of you get real uncomfortable when somebody from your high school days shows up in church and y'all go weeks without talking to each other because you're like, I hope you don't tell nobody what I used to do last time he saw me. We forget God sees past, present, and future simultaneously. Past, present, and future. I'll say it this way. You act in your present knowing your past, but God acts in your present knowing your future. God didn't just see the disqualified fisherman. He also saw the gifted apostle, didn't he? So here's my question. What does God see in your future that you don't? I'll tell you what he sees. He sees you're worth it. He sees you're going to overcome that thing that's been tripping you up. He's going to tell you, and you're going to see that it's not too heavy. Just keep lifting. He's going to see that you get stronger. He's going to see you help that person. He's going to see you have that conversation you've been avoiding. He's going to see you raise that child that is giving you hell right now, and they're going to lead something amazing. What does God see in your future that's allowing him to help you overcome that past that's got you so stuck. Many of you have a financial advisor, you invest in the stock market, maybe you've got some mutual funds or some investments. The SEC has rule number 156, and, and basically it just requires mutual funds to tell investors not to base their experience, their expectations of future results on past performance before they invest their money. You've heard, you've heard it said this way. It says, past performance is no indication of future results. Y'all, y'all seen that before? Yeah? Listen, some of us need to start believing that about our spiritual lives. 
Your past performance is no indication of your future results. And when it, it's easy when you mess up to think, well, I blew it. It's all over. It's, it's, an, it's something else entirely to get back up and remind myself that God knew I wasn't perfect when he asked me to do this. God knew. He's prepared for me to make mistakes. Oh, sure, my mistakes caught me off guard, but they're not catching God off, God off guard. He's prepared. He must have seen something in my future or he wouldn't have chosen me in the first place. I'm worth it. Put that back up on the screen for just a second, please. I want you to look at that. Don't let that stop with your, with your mind. Let that phrase, past performance, is no indication of future results. Let that sink into your heart. The future me will not be who I am today unless I choose to stay right where I am. How about you? Have you allowed your past performance to determine and limit your future results? Are you stuck? Oh, Pastor Don, are you saying, are you saying that I can live any way that I want and God will still bless me? I can still be in fellowship with him? What do you think the answer to that is? No, Paul answered that question for us in Romans chapter six. Look at this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Do not let sin control you the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, do what? Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Some of us are stuck because we haven't given our full selves to God. Some of us get stuck because we choose to stay in it. We got one foot in the things God wants us to be doing and we keep that other foot there because maybe this thing may not work out or maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I can't and I still I want to be able to go back and you've got one foot in and one foot out and you're wondering why it's hard to move. But I'm telling you today, God said in his word, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. He told us this morning during worship, I'm not going to relax my grip on you. And if you'll jump in both feet, give your heart completely to God, you'll find yourself moving. God sees something in your future that you don't see because you're stuck looking at your past. Past performance is no indication of future results. I'm telling you, he's going to do it. I want to invite you today to bow your head, close your eyes. As we typically do in a moment like this, I don't need anybody moving around or looking around. This is just a moment for you and the Holy Spirit. He speaks so clearly. I want you to listen to his voice and mine as I share a few more thoughts with you. But if you're living as if your sin doesn't matter, I want you to know that I love you 
but I question your relationship with God entirely. Purity and holiness matter. And I pray that God will convict you of that sin today. And if you're here and you're struggling and you're wanting to live right, I just want to ask if you completely given yourself to God, like we just read, or are you trying to live two different lives? Peter's life isn't a life of carelessly serving sin. It's a life of fully giving himself to God. Along the way, he does mess up. He falls short. He makes mistakes. But the posture and the attitude of his heart is I've given myself fully to God and I trust him. So here's my challenge for you today. If there's unconfessed sin in your life or a pattern or a habit of living in unrepentant sin, repent. Please repent. Turn from your sin and get right with God. Let us help you get unstuck. Begin to take your next steps toward growing spiritually. God's brought you here. He brought you to a place, to a room full of people who aren't perfect, but they love God. And they'd love you if you'd give them a chance. Some of you show up right as the music starts and you leave as soon as I say amen. And you don't realize the depth of relationship God's trying to surround you with by coming early and by staying late. Secondly, if you've been separated from God, say, I don't know if I died today that the next face that I see would be the face of Jesus, but, but I see my life a little differently today, Pastor Don. It's as if a dead part of me has come to life. If you're here and you say, Pastor Don, I can see my sin differently today. I can see how it's hurting my relationship with God. But I can also see hope. And if you're here and you're wondering yourself today, is this promise of eternity provided by Jesus really true? Yes, it is. You're surrounded by people who have completely given themselves to God. We're not perfect. And we're not surrendered, but we're surrendered. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I want to be born again. If God's got a future for me, I want to see it. I don't want to be stuck in my past. I want to move forward. I want to take next steps. I'm going to show up. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't see the future, but God can. And he's brought me this far. And I can't deny the feeling that I feel inside of my heart that God's got something better for me. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I want to live that kind of life. If you're having a hard time recognizing if God's trying to ask you to follow him, let me tell you what it looks like. It's A, B, C. A, maybe for the first time in your life, you can admit that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from a righteous and loving God. If you're here today and you say, yeah, Pastor Don, I can admit. Then I would say B, believe. Believe that God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to live a perfect life, a life you couldn't live, to pay a debt that you couldn't pay. You're saying, yeah, Pastor Don, I can, I can believe that God sent Jesus. Not, not for everybody, especially for me. And if A, admit, and B, believe are part of what you can do today, I would tell you the only thing left is C, confess. Can you confess him as Lord and Savior? 
Can you confess that his way is better than your way? And that you want to do it his way and you want to live your life with him. And if you say, Pastor Don, today I can admit, I can believe, and I can confess that he's Lord and Savior. I've never raised my hand before in a service like this. I've never asked him to come and live inside of my life. I've never given my heart to him. This is something, it's a decision that happens only once. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, would you get to it, please? My heart is beating out of my chest. Will you just finally ask me to raise my hand? So let's do it. I'm gonna ask you all across this room, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to, you've never been born again, but you're ready to walk in the fullness of what he has for you. Every head's still bowed, every eye's still closed, nobody's looking around. But right now where you're at, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to look up at me. Raise your hand and look up at me so I can see who I'm praying with. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Keep it raised, thank you. Both of you in the back, I see your hand. Thank you too, I see your hands. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I see your hand. I don't want to miss anybody. Keep the hands raised. I'm looking. People in this room are praying for you. Thank you. I see your hand. You two in the corner. I see your hand. Those of you that raised your hand, you can put them down. Anybody else? One more time. I want to be included, Pastor Don. I want to be born again. I didn't raise my hand, or I raised my hand before. If you did, keep it down. But I didn't raise my hand. I want to raise it now. One more time, and then we'll pray. Anybody? I see. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you too on the end, I see your hand. Here's what we're gonna do, church. I'm gonna invite you to say a prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. The attitude and posture of your heart that God has awoken you, that God did something in your heart today is what has saved you. This is gonna acknowledge that prayer. I wanna invite everybody to pray with us, but especially those who prayed or who raised their hand. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those who were born again today.